Welcome to another episode of The Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. Uh, and this is another episode in the series, The Rainbow Dissection. Today, we're going to talk about LGBTQ plus representation in kids' media specifically. So, this was spurred on by the fairly recent series finale of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Now, we've talked a little bit spoilers about... Spoilers for She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 minor spoilers, I don't know, minor spoilers. So, for the next maybe minute or two, um, if you have not seen the series finale of She-Ra and you intend on doing it, please skip to a minute later, and um, hopefully by then we'll stop talking, stop raving about it. Um, but the recent series finale revealed that... Spoiler alert, uh, Adora, who is the alter ego of She-Ra, is in fact a lesbian and well, uh, and is in love with Catra, one of the other characters. Now, throughout the entire series, this was hinted at um, in various ways, but it was never explicitly talked about. Their relationship was close. It seemed kind of sibling-like in this, like, sisterly. Um, but by the series finale, they made it explicit that the two of them are in love and, re- um, you know, thematically, love saved the day. Yes, we won- and they kissed. And they kissed. Um, so we, we won't go into any more detail beyond that, um, in case you do watch it, but we do highly recommend that you watch the show because it is incredible. Um, but what this got me thinking about was the idea of representation in kids' media specifically. Now, She-Ra is an animated show. It isn't. It is a kids' show of sorts in that it is animated, but it does deal with a lot of adult concepts about war and loyalty and and all kinds of some really complex things. But one would argue the same about The Simpsons, for example. See, the comparison I'd probably make is Harry Potter. Like, like Harry Potter, Shira and the Princess of Power got more serious the further you went. Mm. Um. So. There was there was probably some elements of child abuse like psychological and physical child abuse early on and probably a bit a bit of PTSD but it was subtle mm. um but by the fourth season out of 5 it got very serious and very dark and yeah um like around the middle of Harry Potter onwards mm. so the thing is though that with Shira they for whatever reason waited till the very end to make this reveal Again, although it had been hinted through five seasons worth of episodes, um, it was never made clear until the very, like, the like, within the last moments of the last ever episode. Um, but it was kind of the point. The, the interviews with the creator have indicated that's what she was building up to. The idea um, that love saves the day. And that, that is the love that she wanted to celebrate and that was important. And the thing is, is that She-Ra has queer representation throughout its series. So, yeah, so they were the fourth confirmed same-sex couple in She-Ra. Yeah. Um, and I think there was, I think it was one in season one. So it started pretty early. Yeah. And then another two, I can't remember which seasons, probably around two or three. Mm. And then, yeah. This was, this was the fourth confirmed same-sex couple. Um, they also had a gender non-binary character, which mm-hmm. was really quite interesting, who took the pronoun they. Um, so representation there was good. I found that the reveal that um, Bo had two dads was was treated very, very nicely in that it was just kind of casual and okay. But I found that whole episode a little bit trite in that Bo comes out, in inverted commas, as a fighter for the rebellion. Um I, I get the point, and maybe people who haven't aren't our age, who haven't lived through it, or are trying to understand it, it's a nice thing for them to be able to see that 
you know, it is okay to be honest with your parents. It is okay to to be different to what they may have expected, and it's still about love. So, I, I, again, maybe it wasn't intended for me, but I found a little bit, not even cliched, yeah, trite is definitely the word I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Um, but what this... What what this moment represents is the gradual inclusion of um, of queer representation in children's media. Now, in, in obviously broader adult media, it's become increasingly common. It's not mainstream necessarily, but it is becoming increasingly common. Well, it depends on what you mean by mainstream, because in the 90s, you did have examples of sitcoms. Um, one that kind of just went downhill once the main character came out, which was Alan, mm. and one that had queer characters from the start as part of its premise in Will and Grace. Yeah. That went eight seasons, I think. Uh, eight seasons to begin with. And, and then rebooted. The yeah. Three seasons in the nineties. Yeah. In the nineties. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a show that had a gay main character as a sitcom character was able to run yeah. for eight seasons. But ultimately there's, there seems to be a lot of hesitancy about <sighs> queer representation in children's media, particularly amongst the more conservative people. There's the, quite ignorant belief that if you tell someone something exists, therefore they will want to be it, rather than recognising that your gender and sexual identity are inherent, an inherent part of you. So I think there's also, if I can kind of be blunt, another element that there's the idea that the existence of homosexuals is in itself innately sexual mm. in a way that heterosexual couples is not. Yeah. So I think it was Hey Arnold... There was an uproar about a few years ago because um, I think their teacher. No, no, you're thinking of Arthur. Arthur, Arthur. yes, Arthur. not so, Hey Arnold. So, so this, so there, are, so I want to bring up a few examples of where it's come up. So Arthur's teacher, Mister Rattus, it like Arthur's been going on for decades. Mm. Like I remember watching it when I was growing up, and I'm in my mid thirties now, right? Um, but after however many decades, it was revealed that Mister Rattus was in fact in a committed homosexual relationship. And but it was revealed when he got married. Exactly. But then certain states in America censored, refused to screen that episode. For the fear of, you know, it being a kid's show and then not being able to screen it out. Whereas something like, say, Will and Grace or Friends is the other one I can think of where it wasn't a main character, but Ross's wife mm-hmm. was a lesbian. And from episode one, it was revealed that she was a lesbian. Um, it was revealed as a joke. Yes, it was revealed as a joke, but it, was, it wasn't necessarily treated with... Oh, actually, one would argue it was treated with mockery. Maybe, maybe not. It was kind of like... Yeah, it was the idea that Ross was so oblivious he didn't notice his wife was lesbian. Yeah. It's like, ha ha, let's let's all laugh about that in episode one. But it wasn't necessarily treated with any sort of viciousness either. Like, I think I think it probably over the run it was probably okay. But yeah. in in episode one it was a punchline. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. Um so the point is that um you know queer representation is not that frequent. So um other examples have been an episode of Doc McStuffin, so quite a, a quite a popular kids show having a lesbian um parent couple as part of an episode. Um Andy Mac which is which is on the Disney Channel which is you know has a notorious reputation for being quite heteronormative. Um Andy Mac had a one of the one of the main characters, not the title character but one of the main characters come out as gay and it was the first time that it had ever those words had ever been spoken by a character on the disney channel 
Um, and then, other, uh, again, back to sort of Disney properties, Frozen, Elsa is a queer icon. Even though it's never explicitly said what her sexuality is, it's important to recognise that her plotline had nothing to do with a romantic relationship. And that was, for its time, which admittedly was only a few years ago, that was kind of significant for the Disney princess line, because all of them, one way or another, had a romantic lead. Yes, I guess, I guess that is true. She doesn't have a romantic partner, and that, I guess leaves the door open. I'm mm. not sure whether I'd give much credit there. Because um, the Little Mermaid is a trans icon, but I don't think that actually means anything about Disney's Little Mermaid. I guess it depends on how you interpret it. One could certainly interpret Elsa's, um, you know, discovery of her power, her innate powers as being something about burgeoning sexuality, one way or the other. Yeah, the, the thing is that I think Elsa not having a male love interest allowed people to project onto her, almost a blank slate-wise. Mm. Um, which I feel like is a low bar to just celebrate someone not being outright heterosexual. Because the thing is, they could take it away at any moment. They could bring out Frozen 3 and Elsa could get married. Yeah. But it's a start. I mean, it, 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 was, it was different for its time. But, uh, so, back to the idea of She-Ra, what I find fascinating is, again, as I was saying earlier, that they waited till the very end, right? So, to have a gay lead character in a kid's show has not been seen so far, as, as far as I know. And, and please, let's be clear, I'm not talking about um, anime or manga. Those are different things, because in Japan, animation is not considered exclusively a children's genre. It is just a for, an art form from which all sorts of storytelling can come. So we're really focusing mostly on Western like animation and children's media. I find it interesting that they've waited till the very end to do that. Because it's not uncommon for gay side characters to exist now. That's getting increasingly more common. Or guest stars, for example. Um, but to have a gay lead character in a children's animation, I don't, I'm not convinced has been seen prior to She-Ra. And even then, they kept it all secret till the very end. Well, it depends on what you count as being a gay main character. <laughs> Mm. Like, do you include, I guess, the Dumbledore effect, where a creator can say, I never said it, but it is. Because then you have Cora. Yes, right. So so for those unfamiliar, we've previously talked about Avatar The Last Airbender and our love of it. Um, for those who are not fans, there was a sequel series called The Legend of Korra, which most critics and fans would agree was an inferior series compared to Avatar The Last Airbender. But what happened... Which most people believe it, everything is inferior to Avatar. I was reading about <laughs> how She-Ra was inferior to Avatar, so... <laughs> Yeah, so it's a slightly higher. The magic bar. of Avatar. Everything is inferior to it. <laughs> but here's the thing. So, um, uh, again, spoiler alert, minor spoiler alert. In the very last moments of the Legend of Korra series, which ended at four seasons, it is revealed that she and one of the other female characters are in fact in love and they walk off into the figurative sunset together. Holding hands. Holding hands. Yes. Yeah. So, so the reveal in Korra was holding hands, whereas in She-Ra it was kissing, which is why I made a point of the fact they actually kissed. Yes. True, true, true. But yeah, and in Korra, it has remained canon, so there have been comic series following the end of the series, and they've kept it canon that Korra is in love with this female character. Yes. But the but interesting thing about that is that both of these females actually had male love interests. Yes, throughout the Whereas series. Adora never did. Yeah. 
Adora was all was it was yeah it was never really a romantic thing. But r- the thing about She-Ra is that there were no real burgeoning romantic relationships. So the relationships that were already there were were set. So there was a, there were two wives, so two women who were married, and they were already in love and committed, and that was just it from the beginning. Yeah. Um. There was uh, Bo's dads who were again loving and committed yep. throughout the entire series. So. I, I Scorpio's mums. Scorpio's mums, yes. Mm-hmm. So I never really felt that She-Ra wanted to explore relationships in the way that other shows have, where, you know, it's sort of the will they, won't they, different pairings up. Whereas in Legend of Korra, they definitely went out of their way to have, you know, teen love and people splitting up and getting jealous. And, and love triangles. Love triangles yeah. and all that usual. Like, even with the heterosexual couples in She-Ra, there wasn't really any... Um... Conflict? New ones, like in throughout the process of there was ones that you could interpret as possibly romantic mm. in the same way you could interpret some of the female interactions as romantic to the point where it's possible that there was a lesbian love triangle. <laughs> mm, yes, true. Um, but it was never explicitly says that, said there was a lesbian love triangle, and there was never explicitly said that any of the. Um, female male pairs that maybe got together at the end were actually anything more than friends Mm. and there's a lot of discussion interestingly about like since i finished watching the show i've been reading a lot about shira and there's a lot of discussion about what age characters are and therefore what age differences there are in different people and whether it's appropriate and all sorts of weird stuff (laughs) Uh, because one of the, like, most of the princesses are teenagers, but one of them is apparently in her, like, 20s or 30s. Oh, which one? In Traptor. Oh, okay, sure. And Traptor is apparently meant to be older, which means that if her relationship with her heterosexual friend at the end was romantic, that would kind of be okay. Because if she was a teenager, that would have been too much of an age difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other main characters were at one stage implied to pair up, but only in an hallucination. Who was that? So Glimmer and Bo, like it was only in a dream that it implied that their future was romantic rather than friendship. Yes, that's certainly true. And, you know, with with the theme of the series in general being about the power of friendship, right up until really the last season, mm. it seemed on brand that none of the characters would pair up because there wasn't the implication, as most shows have, that the friendship will ha- must evolve into romantic love. Yes, and I think, uh, like, that's kind of... I may not have made the point very well, but I kind of like the fact that there isn't a difference in how the heterosexual and homosexual relationships were treated. Mm. Um, Like, a lot of people are familiar with Game of Thrones. Like, Game of Thrones is well known for female nudity. Mm. Um, But Game of Thrones did have um, a homosexual couple. But the homosexual couple was shot like it was any other show. Like, you know, the the fade away to the fireplace kind of stuff (laughs) that we're all kind of familiar with. But the heterosexual relationships were filmed very graphically and sometimes disturbingly, Mm. (laughs) depending on how consensual they were. So in Game of Thrones, even though it was, you know, HBO and R-rated, there was a difference in how they showed a gay relationship to... um, a heterosexual relationship. And there was also 
a different way in which they shot female on female interactions, which are not a relationship, mm. they were much more willing to put that on screen than a loving male relationship. And, you know, the question is, is this because we are simply entrenched in heteronormative um, media representation? Or is this a matter of people thinking that they need to preempt responses of you know, and objections from viewers? And I, I do wonder sometimes how much of it is um, unfounded preemption. Yeah, it is. Like, people do talk about, like, certain markets won't allow it or bits will be cut out. Um, like, I remember in... What was the last Star Wars? Uh, Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. There is a background lesbian kiss. Um, and there was a lot of talk about from people who thought they knew what was going on that it would be cut out in China. And that's why it was in the background, just easily cut out. But it has been proven that it was shown in China. Mm. So it wasn't actually about cutting out. Maybe it was to cut it out in Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure. Mm. But a lot of people blame China when there's actually proof that China doesn't require lesbian kisses in the background of Star Wars to be cut out. Mm. Um, so there is probably some countries. Saudi Arabia probably just comes to mind because there was recently some stuff about it. Um, I don't know if they're cutting bits of Star Wars out, but it's just... Yeah, so there might be some countries that wouldn't allow it, uh, but there's also a lot of countries that don't allow all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about um, Saudi Arabia for a second. So I recently read an article talking about the movie Onward. Uh, you know, about a, um, a family living in this sort of urbanised, mythical world. And there was a very brief scene in which a character refers to her girlfriend and Yeah, like daughter. a single line. Yeah, it, it, so the, this character did have a name, but was otherwise not particularly significant to the plot. And as I understand it, that, that one scene was edited out. Um, or there's that one line was edited out of the version in the Middle East. Okay, so it was Middle East. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, like, while, while, of course, to some degree, I sort of respect religious rights and the rights of religious freedom at the same time, to preemptively avoid inclusion in order to maximise your exposure or your reach, I'd, I, I, I don't, obviously don't like that as a philosophically. I might understand it to some degree, but I don't think it's necessarily fair. And so... Um, the question then becomes, and again, we, if we look at again, it, it particularly targets children's media. I mean, it's cross media all sorts, but in in adult media. So if you think about um, queer cinema, the fact of the matter is, it's considered a genre. So queer mm. cinema is separate. So it's not like you have films that happen to have a gay character. It's queer cinema, and so there's this sort of feeling that it, it somehow separates it. And to some degree, it's useful to be able to identify it. So if people are seeking out something that reflects their own needs or reflects their own journeys, that's great. But at the same time, should we necessarily be segregating that from the mainstream? Um, so Love, Simon was something that came out um, maybe last year or the year before, which was a gay teen love story. Um, but it was mostly marketed just as a love story more mm. than anything else. And as I understand it, it was a reasonable commercial success. Uh, so do we really need to keep putting our gay characters on the sidelines in order to avoid offending a handful of people? Yeah, it is a hard one. But it has been proven that people will get offended by things. Mm. Uh, I think the, the counterbalance is should studios be able to advertise 
inclusion if it's barely there. Mm. So, like, onwards, there was... I think it was advertised that there was going to be a gay character. And it was one line. Mm. Like, the other part of the couple didn't even appear. Yeah. Um, it was one reference. Um, but do we give credit? Do we accept that as appropriate advertising? And I think the same thing happened with Beauty and Beast, Beauty and the Beast live action, which you saw I didn't. But from my understanding, the gay character they had told us all was there danced with a man for like five seconds. Uh, yeah, I, I don't recall that at all. Like, I, I didn't really hear the stuff around it. So, and obviously it was a very missable moment. Yeah. Um, I think there is, there is... So there are two characters where there is a, a hint of some sort of... <clears throat> at the very least, homosexual attraction, if not necessarily a relationship, between LeFou and Gaston. Um, I think that's meant to be one way, isn't it? Yes, it's one way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely only one way. But that's, that's as much as I really know about mm. it. Yeah, I mean, look, again, we want to celebrate... Like like any achievement, like you know, if if one of our kids did something minor but but impressive nonetheless, we still give them the kind of praise. So you do want to celebrate inclusion to some degree, but but at the same time, you want to fight for more, you know. So I think it's reasonable to the, the, yes, these are minor steps, um, but the fact is, this step wouldn't necessarily have been taken even five years ago. And yes, that is that is probably true. They are yeah, it does feel like it's a very slow um, progress. But I, th- I think the thing with rainbow representation in shows is, in a way, because you don't know if a kid is going to need it. So it kind of, if it's there, then it can help children who are confused feel better about who they are. And as parents, there's probably a point, no matter how nice you are. <laughs> Like, we might, like, if one of our kids is gay, we might not get to this point because they probably wouldn't think it was weird to tell us at all. Mm. Um, But most in most couples, because most couples are not same-sex, there's probably a point, no matter how nice you are, that your kid might be confused but not telling you. Mm. And if they see themselves represented in media that doesn't require you to give them the right media because you don't know that they're gay... It probably helps. So one of the, one of the interesting things I want to bring up was just putting into a different context of representation. So one of the things about Jake is he loves following the rules. Mm. He thinks following the rules is the right thing to do. So when I was reading him Harry Potter, he was really confused about why Harry and Ron would be so mean to Hermione because she sounded great. She was <laughs> following the rules. She was studying. It didn't matter she was a girl. He's like, that's the right one. That's the one who acts like me. Yeah. There's my representation at the start of Harry Potter and Fossil Stone. It's Hermione. Because mm-hmm. I'm not sneaking out. I'm just working hard at <laughs> learning things. Um, whereas we're watching um, one of the early episodes of Legend of Korra. Where, and Korra was being very naughty. She was meant to stay and study. And instead she snuck out to go to a sports match. And Jake was like... I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> Why is she doing this? So for Jake, what he needs is representation of peop- of nerds or well-behaved <laughs> people. So I can imagine, like, you know, as a young gay person, um, representation or, or non-binary, representation of a gay person or a non-binary person is kind of like for Jake representation of well-behaved 
students who follow instructions. Because then what, what that also does is it stimulates conversation. Because for Jake, and whether or not every child will ask this, or whether it's just because he has autism, I don't know. Um, he actually asked me what gay meant. No one had ever really explained to him what the word gay actually meant. Even though he's... Because him having two dads is just fact. Like, yeah. he doesn't look at it from a societal or a cultural or any sort of broader perspective. It's just like, I have two dads. That is slightly different from other people who have a dad and a mum, or mm-hmm. one dad or one mum, or whatever. Okay. And that's just the end of it. And he moves on. So, it was interesting to watch him try to process the fact that you and I are romantic. Because Jake... Um, hates watching romance of any sort on t- on whether it's in games or or TV shows or whatever. He 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 looks you know physically awkward and repulsed by people getting romantic. And I don't want to talk about kissing. I mean, kissing is really bad. But any he can sense it. Like he can feel um, you know a more in the air. Like it's really it's quite fascinating seeing him do it. And it really doesn't seem to matter whether it's homosexual or heterosexual representation. He just hates it all, really, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. And look, maybe he's asexual. A lot of people who have autism tend to be asexual, and if that's how he wants to be, awesome. I yeah. don't care. Uh, but in that case, asexual representation, yeah. which I um I know of one show that has asexual representation. Who's that? Um, it's. What's that show? Like, it's probably completely inappropriate for him. It's the one with, um, like, it's called some, like, Sex Education or something. Oh, yeah. It's like a British show. Mm, yeah, with Gillian Anderson. Yeah, with Gillian yeah. Anderson. Yeah. yeah. So apparently they, that's the only um, good asexual representation I've heard. Because I also heard recently that there was an episode of House where someone thought they were asexual, but they had a brain tumor. <laughs> right. Which is not good asexual representation. No. No, 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 no. Um, but yeah, in Sex Education, which is not an appropriate show for him to watch anytime soon. <laughs> yes. They actually do have someone who basically goes to the sex counselor and says, I, I feel weird because I feel like I'm not, there's something wrong with me because I'm not interested in any of this. Mm. And the sex counselor, who's Gillian Anderson, explains what asexuality is in apparently a very good way, according to asexual people who want representation. Hmm. But that's the only one I know of. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think the key point, and this is, it's, it's nice, you actually brought this up without me having to say it, is that, yeah, it's, I think that making queer characters clear from the beginning, rather than sneaking in at the end, I think is really valuable, um, particularly in kids in in kids things things that are kids products I mean these days there is a lot of animation that sort of um, goes across the spans of ages that's not necessarily directly aimed at kids obviously you've got your Paw Patrols and your Blueies and, and those sorts of things um, but even then this kind of representation is valuable because it it um, starts a conversation. It allows you to explain things in context, um, and it yeah, as you said, for kids who are unsure about themselves <clears throat> or what their idea is, or who are curious and want to explore it, it shows them rather than you having to explain to them in this clinical, textual way, or rather than relying on a teacher to explain it, it gives them context and says, "Well, this person who I really like as a person happens to be gay, asexual, gender non-binary, whatever." What does that mean? You know, that's great. So that's just a part of who they are. And it just, it, 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 if that's who they are, it makes them feel like it's not about the thing anymore. Like the issue or their, their identity isn't focused exclusively on the one thing. It's that this is a person 
who has interests and likes and dislikes and, and flaws and strengths and all sorts of things. And as part of that, you know, uh, melange of personality traits is their gender or sexual identity. Yeah, and I think one of, one of the things, other things I've heard in people discussing the end of She-Ra is the fact that She-Ra, and I'd say this also applies to the world of the Dragon Prince. Oh yes, we should talk about that too. Which is not finished, but also has um, some representation. Not, I'd say, actually, I guess it's almost as much as She-Ra. It just feels like less. I don't know why. I'll, maybe I'll discuss that in a minute. But one of the things they talked about with She-Ra, and yeah, as I said, it also applies to Dragon Prince, is that they both exist in a world where the repression of gay people doesn't seem to exist. Mm. Like, at the end, there were, like, you know, these two characters reveal that they're in love with each other, which is true of, say, the movie, I think, Sleepless in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, there's nothing wrong with the fact that it happens at the end. No. Like, sometimes the reveal of, you know being in love with each other, happens at the end of a rom-com or at the end of a show, um, which is fine. But all, but there is at no stage in any of She-Ra any indication that gay people have to come out or they're repressed or there's religious discrimination against them. And the same with Dragon Prince, none of that. Which means that the story is different to what we normally see. Like, I think we've had discussion that queer media is generally about struggling against society because it's generally set in the real world and that is a common story. And I remember... Plus drama is drama. Like, if you want to write a good thing and you want people to feel something, you know, putting conflict in there, that's an inherent conflict. Yes. But, you you know, you could say that, you know, a, a gay version of Romeo and Juliet would still have drama. True. Um, I, I did one at one stage um, try to write a gay version of Midsummer's Dream. <laughs> <laughs> sure. um, but that's not really relevant. No. <laughs> Just a qu- interesting note about me. Anyway, uh, you can have drama without, I guess, having, you know, people being thrown out of home by their parents or, you know, mm. criticised by, like, religion. Not everything needs to be holding the man, like... Yeah, or boy erased. Or boy erased. Um, so, these fictional worlds, without the history of oppression is able to kind of just show these are two people and it turned out that they were in love with each other. And if at the start of the show one of them had been a man, you could have told the exact same story. Mm. There was nothing particularly different about the fact that they were gay. Yeah. And the same with, you know, all the other gay couples, you know, like one of them was just seen in a picture um, and there was no comment about the fact that they were gay. Like... The fact that two of the couples had kids and there was no discussion of how they had kids is in a way interesting. <laughs> mm. um, because that is something you might be like, okay, so how did that happen? Be- well, it's a world with magic. So because magic. Maybe well, a because wizard magic. did it. A wizard did it. <laughs> yes. Because magic. Um, but yeah, it is, like, it is interesting to have these fictional worlds where the most common real world gay story doesn't happen. Mm. Um, because, yeah, it's just about two people falling in love with each other, not, you know, one of them coming out as a lesbian and then the other one going, oh, I'm also a lesbian. It's just, I love you, you love me, let's kiss. Mm. You were about to share a memory before and I interrupted, I'm sorry. Do you remember what that was? A memory? Yeah. 
That's alright. Oh, was it about Jake? Maybe, yes. Yes. So the other day, Jake told me that one of the girls at school had told him one of the other girls at school had a crush on him. And I said, I have a crush on Ball. And he's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that's why I married him. He's like, (laughs) he was very confused. I think he doesn't think of having a crush as being something that married people at any stage had. Yeah. We were just always married. Yeah. Having a crush is embarrassing and therefore we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a crush. No. We're just married to each other. Yeah. We're just, we're just co-parents to him. <laughs> he doesn't really get that you and I interact with each other in a loving way. Well, no, but I think he gets that. He just, I think crush is kind of this idea of, oh, icky girl germs. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. It's something to be embarrassed about at that age. Mm. But let's let's talk a bit about the Dragon Prince. So so yes, I I do apologize to anyone who isn't as nerdy as we are, but we do encourage you to watch these shows because I think we have pretty decent taste. So the Dragon Prince, for those who aren't aware, is a Netflix show about a trio of people trying to return the Dragon Prince, which is an egg, back to uh, its homeland. Its mother, basically. Its mother, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, the Dragon Prince is fascinating because, once again... So, what I felt about the Dragon Prince is... So, the, the three main characters, there's two boys, uh, different ages, who are stepbrothers, and a third character who is an elven girl. And, uh, spoiler alert, three, two, one. Um, at, in season three, the, uh, the girl and the, and the older boy get together. Alright. One of the things was uh, that I felt that there was... No real need for any romance in this show. I think it could have gone well, just continued on, sort of like She-Ra, and just been about a bunch of friends doing their mission and doing their job, right? Um, except this came up, and my immediate reaction was, couldn't they just been gay? Like, what? why would it have been so difficult? Because, as you said, they created a world where gay oppression was not a thing. There were a num- there were um, a, some side characters who were du- queens, who had a daughter, and they were those, so they were ruling over their own kingdom. Um, there were two uh, gay elven men who were just in a relationship. One was a weapons master, the other was an assassin. Like they have these worlds where it's just love is normal. It's just for and it's for everyone. But for whatever reason, they still decided that the three main characters. The the third character is like meant to be I don't know ten or something. So they weren't going to give him a romantic plotline. But the two older characters who were meant to be in their teens, they decided that for whatever reason, the two of them just had to get together. And I felt that that was completely unnecessary. Like it didn't really serve the storyline, didn't feed anything. And then again, looking at representation, I thought. Just make them gay. Like, really, it would not have been that difficult. You can't make everyone gay. No, but the we point... We this discussion about, um, <laughs> weirdly, Brave New Worlds. Mm, and yes. why sexuality exists if there's no procreation and everyone's genetically engineered. And you made the point that if you're genetically engineering everyone, just make them all pansexual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, particularly because the whole concept of Brave New World is that there's no family, no monogamy, and what was the third thing? No privacy. No privacy, right? Yeah. So if there's no monogamy and it's meant to be a sexually fluid society and you genetically engineer people, why would you engineer sexuality if you could? Like, that just doesn't really make any sense to me. Whereas and- I made the argument that they did have some gay people in group shots. But... but and it was probably an... Appro- like, it was probably... The normal percentage, which is not like, you know, we're not 50% of the population. (laughs) So, you know, say 10% of the characters are gay. But your point about if you're genetically engineering people, why engineering sexuality at all? Mm. Like why genetic, like put heterosexuality if there's no procreation, natural procreation is a good point. 
But from it from a TV representation perspective, you have the show seems to have I'd say maybe three main characters uh, of like all sort of interacting with each other to some degree. Um, two of them men, one of them women. It would seem that they're going to create a love triangle. Now I've never read the original book. I have no idea what the source material is like, but it isn't is common these days for. Um, particularly TV creators, to take license from older texts. So, you know, it's not unusual for them to, to turn change the genders of characters or change the sexuality or sometimes the age or whatever. Like, they change various things. So... We're, we are only one episode to break the world. Yeah, so. Yeah, so there may be something coming that we're not necessarily aware of. But again, the question is, why can't you? Like, if... If it's a world where, you know, sexuality is not an issue, why do the three main characters have to be heterosexual? Well, yes. Uh, I think... But that comes to the probability. Like, as you said, with Dragon Prince, why not make them gay? Because if only 10% of people are gay, what's the probability? But then you make the argument for race as well. Like, really, if we went by probability, why isn't every character on TV Asian? <laughs> you know? Like, you can't argue well, that. Well, that, that is a good point. You are the majority Asians, as, yeah. as was made in it, I think, better off Ted. It's yeah. like, when I'm a minority, there's more no, of us. No, it's not. We're not exotic. We actually outnumber you. So technically, you're, you're the exotic, exotic ones. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very good point. Um, but I know, like, I have to say, Dragon Prince does have a lot of different races, which is good. Yes, they're, they're racial and I think often represented by their accents as well. There's a lot more, let's say cultural diversity. There's a lot more cultural diversity. Well, yeah, but they also Dragon have mixed Prince. race couples. Yes, true. Um, and now they have a, I guess, mixed species couple, which yes. sounds worse than it probably is. But it's yeah. always a bit, uh, elves and humans across fantasy have always been quite willing to... <laughs> yep. Mixed together, but whether, you know, if there was another sentient species, we'd actually mix with them. They're, they're, you, know, you know, a Star Trek, like, yeah. every every alien is just a hot woman. <laughs> There's also the hint of Amaya and that sun princess as well. That, I think that, that is true. going to go on there. Yeah. Uh, but, but And they had a, well, they have a mixed race, same sex couple. That was pretty good. But once, <laughs> Ticked all the boxes. But once again, these people are all in the background. Yes. And I have to say, in Dragon Prince, spoilers... Three out of four appear to be dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Lovely stuff. Which there. is called Bury, Bury Your, Your Gaze. Yeah. Uh, at least in She-Ra, only probably two of them were dead out of eight. Yeah. And those were not sure. Yeah. And we kind of knew that her parents were dead before we knew that they were gay. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's a different topic for probably an entirely different episode. But the point is, and I guess this is probably a nice place to wrap up. I think that we do, look, we should always be fighting for representation. Yes, I agree. But as parents who are... Gay there is one children, more thing I want to make. Yeah, yeah, go on. Okay, so recently we're watching another show called Lock and Key. Mm. And this is not really a spoiler for anything other than the actors who play them. So one of the male leads of Lock and Key is a gay man who's playing a straight character. Mm. And you said, why not make him gay, seeing it's a gay actor anyway? And I made the point that for those who remember Buffy, if you have one straight character and one gay character, you can end up with a very disproportionate amount of each gender. Because mm. if you have the sister as a straight woman with a boyfriend and the brother as a gay man with a boyfriend, something you've got a lot of men. Whereas in Buffy, it was um, a lesbian couple that kind of just threw everything off. Like, you know, so it's like 
a single woman, a man with a woman, and a woman with a woman. Lots of women. Which is nothing wrong with it. Buffy is about female empowerment, so it kind of made sense. And let's, and let's remember, She-Ra was predominantly women, except yes. for the hand, a handful of male characters. One who didn't, who had gay dads but didn't seem to have a sexuality of his own, which was fine. Yeah. And then the villains, basically, were all men. Yes, that is true. Lots of villainous men. And yeah. some villainous women. Yeah, yeah. But yes... Like, there's nothing wrong with having a lot of women in the show or a lot of men in the show. But I, I feel like if they had made the character gay just because the actor was gay, it would have kind of thrown off the gender balance mm. of the show. So I was completely fine with the fact that they had a gay man playing a straight character to have a more diverse cast overall gender-wise. Yes, so so obviously it's a question of where your priorities are. The priority, you know, queer representation is a priority. Gender representation is a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a it's a it's a tricky line to walk, and I respect that. But I still think that it, would, it shouldn't have mattered. Um, but obviously, my priorities are different. It was also an existing character from a book, so it would have actually been a change. Yes, but once again, doing making a change from the source material is not far removed. And if if again, if we if we think about the idea that. Adding a gay character doesn't have to be significant. Like, like we talk, we've talked about Shira a lot because that's been the kind of the source. The fact of the the fact of the matter that spoiler alert, if you did listen earlier, Adora is gay. But you did promise spoilers for one minute, and you have you have failed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I tried. Um, so you know that that should her being there, and the fact that it exists, Shira exists in a world where gay oppression is not a thing. Why not? Like, why not just... It, it shouldn't have an impact. Because I think half the concern... Let's start again. As a writer, I understand that you need to figure out where the drama is and where to mine the storylines from. But you can treat queer storylines without necessarily making it about being queer. You can have it... I mean, so you can have storylines where they're... The, the queer the sexuality is just a part of them it doesn't have to be something that inherently causes drama so to change a character from a source material from from heterosexual to homosexual you can argue that if, if it exists in a world where nobody else cares then you can it shouldn't actually impact the plot line but in, in lock, any way. lock and key is set in the real world so that doesn't apply there you can create any sort of, you know, real-world variant if you really wanted to. Like, there's another show that that was on a few uh, back in 2014 called Faking It, which was about a liberal Texas high school where the the diversity was very deliberate and very, very diverse. And, yeah, everyone was okay with it. And as I understand, I think that in part is true. I think there are pockets of Texas that are quite liberal. Um, well, but- there's pockets of everywhere. There's a, po- there's a pocket of Melbourne that has a like, a high proportion of same-sex people. Yeah. Yeah. So We just don't live in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so, let's let's wrap this up, because we, we are getting really over time now. Um, the point is, yeah... That's a problem for you as editor. <laughs> <laughs> represent. Represent is the thing. So, it, we, we should be fighting for more representation of queer characters in kids' animation, particularly for us as parents. Um, but... Ideally, there shouldn't be, again, a one line in a movie or a background character. It's a start. And I'm not saying we should we should uh, scoff at people really trying their hardest. And yes, there are systemic issues in play. But if we can have openly gay characters, ones who actually make a point of it, then it becomes the norm. And then people just start... It just becomes something that you accept. It's not something you fight as being changed. It's just 
part of it, you know, part of the world. Yes, and hopefully we will get there. But there are people who will fight every step of the way. But there's people who are going to fight everything. Like, just, That's true. There's a lot of things that are not, we're not progressing because there's people fighting every step of the way. But whether we let, but whether we we choose to hold back because of fear of conflict, is um, is I guess the question. And look, don't get me wrong. Some people are stronger than others at the fight. I'm not. Maybe we we'll do an episode about the right to boycott. Yeah, at some stage. Maybe. Because that could be a very interesting episode. <laughs> so thanks for listening. Um, thanks for sticking around. Maybe you took a, a tea break in the middle. I don't know. Um, if you have any comments, anything you'd like to contribute, please let us know at the Atypical Rainbow on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll talk to you next time.